0: Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God
1: is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Please recede in. It started with a phone call. It was the end of summer just before I was going to start my senior year of high school. The phone call was not for me directly, but in the end it was that call that would forever change what I thought about what it meant to believe in something bigger than myself. That phone call set off a series of events that also changed what I would think years later in how I would define the power of God's healing love, the possibility of transformation in our lives, and the promise of the resurrection in our daily lives. The voice on the other end of the phone was my uncle's, and he was calling my parents to finalize the details for our end-of-summer extended family vacation at my grandparents' cottage in northern Michigan. In and of itself, that was not an unusual call or trip. The trip to the cottage was an annual summer pilgrimage with many of our relatives. What was unusual was that my uncle was calling to tell us that my cousin George was coming, too. Growing up, George had been my hero. He was six years older than me, and he was so much my very, very favorite cousin. He was a musician, an artist, a photographer, a competitive swimmer and diver, and he had a ponytail. He taught me a lot about playing the guitar. He built his very own banjo. He sang beautifully, my version of a superhero. He was wildly eclectic, didn't seem to care so much what adults thought of him. He was incredibly independent, and I thought he was wonderful. But on that day, during that phone call, the thought of seeing my favorite cousin made me nervous. I hadn't seen him for almost three years. Days after he had turned 21... George had been in a near-fatal motorcycle accident that had left him in a coma. Three months after the accident, still in the hospital and unresponsive, the doctors told my aunt and uncle that it was time to transfer him to a long-term care facility as there was nothing else to do medically. But George's family had another idea. George's family was and is Christian scientist. Their faith tradition is rooted firmly in the belief of the power of prayer and God's healing love. So they took George home. Over the next two years, my aunt and uncle and four other cousins in that beautiful family completely restructured everything in their lives to make caring for George their main priority. They remodeled their home. They built a therapeutic swimming pool in the backyard with a lift and built George a very special sunroom on the main floor so that when he did come back to them, he would open his eyes and see their beautiful family garden. It was also a time during those two years that none of us, the rest of the family, had very much contact with them as they focused exclusively on George. So it was amazing, if not also fearful, to hear on that phone call, my uncle had told my parents that after two years, George had recently opened his eyes and had begun to have some small but recognizable facial movements. Little else had changed in his condition, but my aunt and uncle believed with all of their hearts that that was the beginning of their miracle. I don't remember much else about that phone call, but I do remember feeling terrified at the idea of seeing him in that condition after so much time had passed. What would he look like? How would I react? Well, the day came that answered those questions. We all made it up to the cottage and on the very first night together, while my aunt was in the kitchen cooking dinner, she asked me to take my guitar into George's room and play him a song. Again, I just remember how terrified I was. Seventeen years old and scared to be alone with my favorite cousin, not knowing what to do or say. I know now, looking back, I suspect that that was one of the many moments that we have in our lives. That when we either decide, or in my case, with a very strong push from my aunt, are shoved into a reality in which we have no control, In those moments, sometimes, many times, something wonderful beyond our control finds a way to happen in spite of just us. So reluctantly, I went into George's room and I sat down on the foot of his bed. I don't remember really at all what I said, but I remember what I did. Blackbird
0: sitting in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly all your life. You were only waiting for this moment to arise. Blackbird sitting in the dead of night. Take these sunken eyes and learn to see All your life You were only waiting for this moment to be free Blackbird fly Blackbird fly Into the night of the dark black sky
1: Blackbird. It is an old Beatles song that George had taught me so many years before. We had played it together time and time again as I tried to memorize it and play it just like he had. I didn't look up during the entire song because I was afraid of what I might see or not or what I might do or not. But at the end of the song, I looked up. I looked at my cousin in the eyes for the very first time, with his eyes open. And he smiled. And it was that smile that helped me put down my guitar, forget I was so afraid, and simply go over to him, and after three years, give him a hug. Nothing else happened in that moment. No literal healing of sorts. No spontaneous movement or words on his part just a song and a smile and a hug from a frightened young woman who didn't want to lose the love she had for her cousin. I didn't really do anything special, but now, years later, as I think about that time, I think that maybe that was a kind of resurrection experience. Maybe that was what it means to participate in God's healing love. This was a long story to share this morning with you, and I fear that it might put me dangerously into the category of sharing too much. But I tell it because I am pushing myself, and I hope by extension all of us, to think more intentionally about what it means to believe in some fundamental aspects of our faith, including... What does it mean to believe in the power of God's healing love? What does it mean to believe in the possibility of transformation in our lives? What does it mean to believe in the promise of the resurrection every day? As the impact of the coronavirus increases day by day, now touching our communities directly, some of our friends and some of our family members, it seems disingenuous to preach a word that does not face squarely into the encroaching pain and devastation in many of our lives. So, how do we hold this new reality of fear and suffering and death in one hand, and in the other, hold the story of Lazarus alongside our own as signs of healing and hope? Many days I fail to find that balance, but sometimes, Through scripture or our liturgy or poetry or song or our lived stories and deeply connected lives, there are moments of grace when hope and love and compassion and kindness seem to be the gifts we need and find along the way. As we move closer to Easter and the story of Jesus' resurrection, Our stories of resurrection need voice and light and in the telling have power to shape us deeply. I believe that each time we share a story with another, the promise of the resurrection is given new life and meaning. Richard Rohr says it beautifully in a quote from his wonderful book, Radical Grace. He writes, Though Jesus brings us to life, he needs us the body of Christ. He needs the community to unbind Lazarus. We now share in the power of resurrection. The eternal Christ says to the eternal church, unbind the suffering and let the world go free. That is the meaning of church. It is our call. It is our burden. It is our task in human history. The risen Christ invites us on his path of liberation. Jesus says to Martha today, I am resurrection and the life. And then a few chapters later, he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The raising of Lazarus is not proof, but promise. Not evidence, but experience. Resurrection is not something we have to believe Not something conveniently confessed. Not something that can be fully comprehended. And I am wary of anyone who tells me otherwise. No, resurrection can only be experienced. Because when we experience moments of resurrection, we start to feel resurrected. If we haven't experienced what it feels like to be resurrected, it is awfully hard to believe it could be true. To believe in the resurrection comes nowhere close to what it means to simply experience resurrection. So once we think we get it, we don't. Once we think we have it all figured out, we don't. Once we are sure of the meaning of the words we proclaim when we say Christ is risen, that is the time I think we should stop, full stop, and ask, really? Christ is risen? What makes us so sure? What convinces and convicts us when we say words like that in our creeds? Are you surprised to hear this from your priest? Truth be told, it has taken me years of life and ministry and the context of this beautiful community at Trinity to give me voice and courage to speak these words. You see, I don't think that faith and hope and trust in the power of resurrection requires us to have it all figured out. What it does seem to require is our conviction. As poet Mary Oliver says so beautifully, reminding us to pay attention, be astonished, and go tell about it. Then, While we get busy paying attention, God, love, Lord, Elohim, Yahweh, El Shaddai, advocate, bread of life, omega, rock, word, the truth, the way, whatever name you want to call the eternal source of love and light in the world, then that source gets busy and does all the heavy lifting. And then we will start noticing miracles happening all around us all the time. This is the heart of the story of Lazarus. Resurrection is not a confession. Resurrection is not a theory. Resurrection is not some sort of ambiguous promise. No, resurrection is real. Resurrection is relationship with the source of eternal love. And resurrection is now. What Jesus does for Lazarus in our gospel story this morning gives me comfort and hope and joy and reassurance. It suggests to me that there is a power loose in the universe that is stronger than death, stronger even than our own fear of death. Our own stories are full of that power. And those stories in our lives are waiting to be remembered and then told and then heard. And it is that power that can call us out of our own stinking tombs into the fullness and sweet mystery. Of life. My prayer for us this week as we move forward into more of an unknown landscape is that we cling tightly to each other and the sacred stories of our lives woven into the meta-narrative of our faith. We must trust that God's breath can and will still bring these stories to life and open our graves to release fear and hopelessness apathy and denial, ambivalence and insecurity, and in their place offer new life and generosity and grace. God has no tears but ours to share with someone who is scared and hurting. God has no voice but ours to sing a lullaby or offer a word of comfort or hope to someone who is hurting. God has no hands but ours to do the things we can do for one another while we are separated. Surely the presence of the Lord is indeed in this place and in all of our lives every day. Even on the days when we wake up and find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. So this week, go find a way to tell someone a resurrection story from your own life. Trust me. We need to hear your story, and we will pay attention. We will be astonished, and then we will go tell about it. For that is the work of discipleship in these coming days. Pay attention, my beloved friends, for you just might witness the power of the Holy Spirit as she unbinds God's love and sets it free for all the world to see. May it be so.